Um, okay, today we end our series, Ingredients for a Better You. What a great way this has been for us to start our new year. I hope and pray that God has used these conversations to help you recalibrate spiritually. I hope it's also inspired you to step up your game. Uh, as with any conversation we have here, this stuff doesn't become practical and, and therefore it doesn't produce growth, it doesn't produce change unless you let God work it into your life and work it into your habits. So as we think about Jesus' recipe for development that we've gone over these last several weeks, I pray that you've been looking for ways that God might be preparing you for what's next and for what's to come, and also uh, that you, you are thinking about preparing yourself, and that you've been thankful for the times, the, the ways and the times that you have seen him prepare you. And I also pray that you've been inspired to dig into the Bible. It can be hard work, but it's, it's so worth it. And remember, we need to be taught, and, and this is the design manual. And, and I pray further that you've been stirred to choose community. It doesn't happen unless we choose it, and we need a posse, you are too busy not to have this in your life. I pray that you've been encouraged to welcome challenge and to step into it when you see it. We don't grow without it. How about if we commit to looking for how God is working in, in our next difficult situation? How about if we commit to seeing it through that lens? And finally, I pray that, that we've all felt a newfound appreciation of feedback Ouch, that helps. Okay, so today we're going to end this series and we're going to end where Jesus ended. We'll, we'll, we'll take his final instructions to his disciples and to us. Remember, this is a big one. This, these are Jesus' last words. And we're going to make seven observations about uh, Jesus' last words. Don't get nervous. We'll dial through them quickly. But through those observations, we're going to add two more ingredients to Jesus' recipe of development. Again, this is the very last thing Jesus said while he was on earth, and this is a big one, Gateway. So uh, let's kick it off with prayer. Let me pray. Father, stir our hearts this morning, stir our minds, uh, wake up our wills. You know, we need help giving ourselves to you. I mean, even that, we're so, we are so in the habit of a self-salvation project. We need help surrendering, and, and surrendering is the, begin, it's the key, it's the beginning of everything. It makes it easier as we see you, as we recognize that you're the, you're the, the way maker, you're the miracle worker, you're the light in the darkest times, you're the light, you're the thing that gets us through. And so this morning, we want to give ourselves to you, and I pray that you would use our time today to uh, work on us. Use my words, Lord, and make them your words. Please forgive me of my sin and, and uh, break open our chests, move past our defenses, and, and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus' final words are recorded for us at the end of Matthew's account, at the end of Matthew's biography. It's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And I'm going to ask, if you would, to stand with me out of reverence for God's word. 
This is Jesus speaking to us, his very last instructions. I'm going to read off the screen this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to be looking. If you're at home, if you go to mygateway.life to the sermon card, you'll find the scripture, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And hear this, this is epic. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So beforehand, Jesus had arranged this meeting. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may be seated. Observation number one of seven, our capacity for doubt is epic. Some of the, did you hear that? Some of them doubted. How? At this point, how how are some of them still doubting? Our capacity for doubt is epic. I want you to check out this cartoon. You look different in your online profile. You know, I was impressing you with my Photoshop skills. Our capacity for doubt is epic. Let's face it, our our lives have taught us to be a bit skeptical, the, the current climate we live in. That, on top of our natural tendency, our capacity for doubt is epic. So if you find yourself... Waking up one morning, you're taking a shower, and you're just beginning to think about life, and you're wondering, does it mean anything? You're not alone. Our capacity for doubt is epic. Second observation, Jesus is a big stinking deal. I recognize that there are a few of you who are connected to Gateway that are beginning your exploration of the spiritual life, and you may have gotten to the point where you're ready to recognize there is a God, there is even a personal God who is involved in my life, who may be involved in human history, but you're not yet to the point where you understand Jesus and who he is. I want you to stick around for our next series of conversations. We're going to try to walk through that a little bit, but this morning, let's just acknowledge that Jesus is a big stinking deal, and if you struggle with that, put a pin in that, because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Third observation, we have been charged with making disciples. We're going to camp on this one for a minute. We've been charged with making disciples. As I said, these are his final instructions, and and go make disciples is the core of what he's saying here. That means you could summarize Jesus's final words to us as go make disciples. I think that this This makes it pretty important. In fact, I think it's fair to say that this is central to our life's mission mission, as individuals, as families, and as a church. Jesus has charged us with making disciples. Now, a disciple is a learner or a student, so we have been charged with identifying people who are curious or people who have need and with helping them become serious students of Jesus. This is why parents... This is why parenting is so important, not because we get to create little mini-me's, 
Not because we finally have someone that we can love completely and they love us back. Not because we get to finally prove how awesome our genetic makeup is by seeing it in another specimen and we get to show the world. Parenting is so important because it presents us with an opportunity to offer teaching and preparation and challenge and real connection and feedback on a regular basis. In other words, to train and disciple another human constantly and up close, we get to make disciples, parents. This is why your job is so important. Even business owner, this is why your job is so important. Your job is not to expand your business and make more money. That's your cover. If, if the purpose of your life is to expand your business and make more money, then I promise you, your life is too small. And there are times in the dark of night when you're alone, you know it. Your life is much bigger than that, much more important. There's an epic charge that's been given to you. Make disciples. And this is a significant part of your job, teacher. This is a significant part of your job, engineer. This is a significant part of your job, construction manager, sale, software salesperson, or software programmer. We've been charged with making disciples. Now, if you've been around the church for very long in your life, you've heard this before, but this is one we tend to forget. We forget how central it is. This is, this is central to everything that Jesus says to us. And church leader... This is a significant part of your job as a church leader, a small group leader. Your, your, your part of your job is discipling. Your job is not to host a weekly meeting. We're, we're to identify people who are curious, identify people in need, tell them more about Jesus, and help them become serious students. Greeter, the person who stands at Gateway when we're not in COVID and says, hey, good morning, welcome. Equipment team person, thank you, Bell family. They have set the gym up for us for the last months since we've been coming back from COVID, but eventually we're going to have a team of folks who help us do this. Equipment team person, part of your job is discipling. Let me show you what I mean. I want to show you one of my favorite gateway pictures. Flash this up, Dean, if you would. This is a young father in our church and his two girls. They are breaking down after service on Sunday morning, and we do this every week. We set up, this is a gymnasium, we, we lay out carpet squares, and then we set up chairs, and then at the end of the day, we break them down. They're breaking this down, and this young father's two girls are helping him. You notice that one of them is standing on the chairs, <laughs> decidedly not helpful at all, but in her mind, she thinks that she's helping dad break down the church, and you know what? here and what she's learning. She's saying, this is what my dad does. This is the kind of thing my dad does. He helps. My dad serves. My dad helps the church. Oh, this is what church people do. This young dad is discipling his girls. This is a significant part of our job description, regardless of what your job is, regardless of what atmosphere you're in. So if you're building a recipe for a better you, you need to remember this. Let me give you this one. Jesus charged us to make disciples. If we want to achieve the best version of ourselves, we will accept Jesus' charge. This will be part of how we see our lives, making disciples. If you want to lead a life of purpose, you and I will accept this charge. Uh, 
You know, this reminds me, as I was thinking about this this, this week, this reminds me of, uh, most of you have heard me say this before, but before Diane and I moved to Northern Virginia to start Gateway, uh, I pastored in a, a resource-challenged neighborhood in an urban area up north, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm a little guy, goofy grin from South Carolina, I didn't know anything about this kind of neighborhood, uh, but in those kinds of neighborhoods uh, that are blighted, they most of the institutions die, and that includes churches. So this little church had a beautiful old building. It was in dramatic disrepair, but it had a beautiful old building. But there were only seven people left in this congregation that had probably been hundreds early in the 20th century. And the only thing they could afford was a desperate seminary student who was clueless but would come down and help them out. And uh, that's how I ended up getting the job. So we take on this church and move into that neighborhood, and it was a little overwhelming. Just urban life was overwhelming, and, and the incredible richness and diversity of urban life was overwhelming, and the needs were overwhelming. I remember one day, I was doing a prayer walk around our corner of our city, and it was one of those days where I was just, you know, kind of desperate for how how do you do this, God? How do, how do I reach these people? How, how do we begin to build this church together and expand it? And what in the world am I supposed to do? And I was pretty desperate before God. And I had one of those experiences I've really only had a, a handful of times in my life. Honestly, some of you experience this quite frequently. I don't in my spiritual life, but God spoke to me. And I was asking, you know, God, how do, I, how do we reach this neighborhood? What, what do we do here? And God said to me, look, uh, I want you to tell them about me. So if they know uh, Jesus, tell them more. If they don't know Jesus, introduce me. And that has, in effect, been my job description for the last 30 years. I want you to know uh, it's yours as well. This is what it means to make disciples. Okay, back to our observations. Observation number four from this passage. Uh, let's add some scope to Jesus' charge. Remember, his charge to us is make disciples. Let's add some scope. Jesus' charge to make disciples was universal in scope. It was to all nations. This is why the disciples went everywhere. The disciples went throughout the Middle East, and then they leaked into Europe and Throughout the known world, they went into North Africa. Uh, according to church tradition, uh, uh, Thomas went as far as the Indian subcontinent because the scope is universal. In part, this means that Jesus' charge applies to all of our relationships everywhere we go. There is no one outside of the scope of this charge on our life. Make disciples of all nations. Observation number five. We shouldn't, we shouldn't miss the willfulness of the charge that Jesus gives us. In other words, this business of being a disciple must be accepted. Let me, let me explain what I mean. You see, Jesus told them to go make disciples of all nations, and look, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Baptism, let me explain. Baptism was an ancient symbol, of course. Christians didn't make this up. Uh, Ancient Egyptians also baptized, and they baptized for religious significance. That means there was nothing magical about the ceremony of baptism. There was nothing magical about the waters of the Jordan River or the Sea of Galilee. In other words, it wasn't about getting wet. The key feature here is not about the act of baptism itself. The key feature here is the choice that each individual baptizee makes to get to the point of baptism. Baptism itself is a symbol. It symbolizes new life, new beginnings, new decision point. In essence, baptism was and is a testimony. In effect, the baptizee is saying, I'm starting something new. I'm taking the plunge. I'm all in. There's no, this is all still true today. There's, there's nothing magical about the ceremony or about the water. We, we have a, a portion of our stage up here where the boards will peel back and we have a, a tank in there. We baptize people right here. We have baptized people in creeks and, and rivers and, and lakes and, and pools and hot tubs. I even baptized my favorite baptism ever was baptized two people in the Caribbean on a mission trip. But there's nothing, well, there's something magical about the Caribbean water, but there's nothing magical spiritually about any water, nothing magical about the ceremony. It is essentially an initiation rite. This was the church's way of saying, welcome. And this was the participant's way of saying, I'm in. I decide to be a disciple of Jesus, and this is how I'm showing the world that decision. For those of you on the discipling side of the equation, I believe that this is a part of how we onboard people. As I said, this is how we welcome them in. For those of you on the discipled side of the equation, uh, I believe that, that the driving point here that Jesus is making is, and that we practice here at Gateway, is this, this is my decision. This is how I decide to step in, to own it. You need to jump in. You need to sign up for the discipleship business. And baptism is the way that you signify that decision. Look, I've known many people over the years who believe that they were just born a Christian. But no one is born a Christian. You, growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. You have to choose it. You, you turn the reins of your life over to God willfully. This is part of the purpose of baptism. It recognizes that choice. I imagine most of you, even those of you who are young, are familiar, you've heard about or seen references to the ministry of Billy Graham. Throughout the 20th century, Billy Graham had hundreds of uh, revival, he called them, campaigns. They met in churches and, and auditoriums and, and in very, very large stadiums. And Billy Graham would gather huge crowds of people and he would tell them the story of Jesus and tell them, you know, what Jesus did and what he accomplished and what it, why it matters, how it's significant for us. And then at the end, every time at the end of these services, Billy Graham would invite people in these vast arenas. He would invite people to come down front and decide for Jesus Christ to give their life to Jesus Christ because you have to decide. And often by the hundreds, people would come down front to decide to follow him. 
And then he would bring counselors down who would talk to these people. And when they, when they talked to these people, I did that one time. When they talked to these people, he had information that he would give them or tracts he would give them or small booklets that he would give them. And, and then they would be encouraged. All of these people would be encouraged. You need to go connect to a local church and you need to be baptized. Because that's your way of saying, ha, I'm in. I take the plunge. Look, if you've never made this choice, I'm not talking about being religious. If you've never made this choice, I'm inviting you today to make this choice. If you've never chosen this, if you've never given the governorship of your life over to Jesus of Nazareth, then I'm inviting you to do so right now. You must choose. You must jump in. Here's how. Let's pray. I'm going to ask those of you who are Christians this morning to pray with me. And let's re-up. For those of you who've never made this choice, let's do it. Jesus, I, uh, I'm, not, you know, I'm not exactly where I want to be. And I'm, I'm, uh, I've got here through my own choices and through my own patterns and my best effort has gotten me here, and I recognize I've sinned against you. And I'm so sorry. I ask you to forgive me. And this morning, something is percolating in my heart and my life, and I'm recognizing that that can happen, that it can be brand new for me because of what Jesus did. And so I, want, I believe that, and I receive that this morning, and I want you to know I'm in. Please come into my life and help me know how to grow to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, our sixth observation from this text explains the core of Jesus' charge. So the very heart. What does he mean when he says, go make disciples? We talked about it a second ago, but let's, let's tease it out a little bit. Um, the heart of Jesus' charge is really modeling. So why do I say that? Well, this is what he meant. This is what Jesus meant when he said, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mean, look, when we hear teach, we think um, a person standing up front somewhere, maybe a lecture, sharing information with another person or with a group of people. But for Jesus, it meant much more than that. In fact, Look at what teacher Paul said to his students in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus didn't have a curriculum. In fact, he didn't write any books, not a single article. He certainly shared information, but he did so much more than that in the development process as we've been finding out. In, in other words, what you saw me do, Jesus says, what you saw me do, Show others how to do that. What you heard me say, go tell that to others and teach them to tell yet others about that. Go spread my story in word and deed. Go be a model. Now, let's flip sides for a second and go to the disciple side, the learner side. Uh, that means for each of us, if we're going to be the best version of ourselves, we will need a model. If we're going to be the best version of ourselves, we'll need a model. This is one more ingredient in our recipe for a better us. 
Jesus modeled how to live life under God for his disciples through word and deed. Then he charged them to model that for others. So here's the whole take. If we're going to be the best version of ourselves, we will need a model. And ultimately, we will need to, to be a model for others. I know that that sounds highfalutin to some of you this morning, but it's not. This is literally what Jesus is getting at. It's literally the charge that he's given us. This is a significant part of our life's work. If our life's work is going to stand the test of time, we need to be a model, and we need to become a model for others. Now, of course, it's the case that Jesus is our principal model. That's true for all of us. But it's also true that God intends for this process to have even more skin on it than that. God intends for this modeling process to be very up close and personal. We mentioned parenting before. Then we talked about our lives in a work setting. We're charged to be models to, to all that Jesus said and did, to train others. We are Jesus with skin on, to train others to do and say the same things that Jesus said and did. Um, I don't know how many of you know uh, Jeff and Heather DeJani. They're part of our church. Uh, Jeff and Heather are a mess, and they have made some uh, really uh, dramatic bad decisions in their lives. And yet Jeff and Heather have raised three of the finest young people I've ever known. If you're a young parent and you want to know how to raise great young people, you need a model. Talk to Jeff and Heather to Janney. I don't know how many of you know um, uh, Jan and Marianne Zacharias. Uh, Jan and Marianne are a mess, and they have made a mess of many of the decisions in their lives. Uh, Jan only started a spiritual journey in connecting to Christ 12 years ago, maybe. Uh, and he was coming from a really, really dark place when he did so. And yet, Jan and Marianne have had profound, life-altering impact on dozens of men and women, changing the trajectory of their lives. Some of these men and women still come to them for advice after many years. If you want to know how to have a dramatic impact on the lives of others. You need a model. Find out Jan and Marianne's story and ask them how. I don't know how many of you know uh, Javen and Susan Bell. Javen and Susan Bell are clueless. Notice these stories are about people that don't wear halos. But Javen and Susan know how to use their, their lives and their resources for God's purposes. And Jabin has a good job, Susan has a good job, but they've done, and, and they have a nice home, uh, but they've done incredibly well. They've been incredibly wise. Jabin told me last night he calls it being stingy. They've been incredibly wise with their resources so that they have been incredibly generous to Diane and I, to Gateway, to some of you individually. Look, if you want to use your resources well, you need a model. Talk to Jabin and Susan and ask them how they've done it. We have a young woman in our church who has a rich, mature, mature spiritual life that, that came to my wife, Diane, who is awesome, came to my wife, Diane. She's the only one here that wears a halo. She came to my wife, Diane, 
and said, hey, can you track with me for a while spiritually? Can you, you know, can you disciple me? How incredible is that? I'm more impressed with the young woman than I am with Diane. This is a very mature young woman. She's in, she's in a ministry of, of a kind to, to teenagers. Wanted to track with someone, and so they've read some books together, and they talk weekly, and they pray together and find out how life is going. You need a model. And ultimately, you need to be a model if we're going to be our best selves. Seventh and final observation, let's wrap up. Uh, Jesus' final instructions here, the last observation, we are not alone. In all our efforts and our successes and our toughest times, when things look great and when things look their darkest, even in our disappointment and doubt, we are not alone. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. So as we conclude this series, uh, I want to say these conversations, all of them for the last six weeks, have seemed like an encouragement towards self-improvement. And we, we couldn't pick a better time to talk about that, right? New Year and, and resolutions and all that. And we've talked repeatedly about the best version of ourselves, and to get there, we've need, we need preparation, we need to be taught, we need community, we need to be challenged, we need feedback. We've added a couple more this morning, and we focused a great deal on our efforts in each of those directions. We focused on our efforts. This is all good. In fact, Paul told us in Philippians 3.12, and Dean flashed that on the screen real quickly, Paul told us at the end of this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to work at it. We've got to do work in order to see growth. Remember the whole challenge sermon. We need to step up. We need to grow. But the key to this whole thing, the key to our best selves, the key to our growth, the key even to our own efforts, the key is not self-improvement. Willpower is not enough. In fact, unaided, willpower alone leads to frustration and failure. Oh, sure, you may end up with the nice house in Stone Ridge and a couple of kids at Mercer Middle School and John Champ High School, all of that by willpower alone. Your son might even get to play football for Coach Dawson. Your daughter could be successful at gymnastics. The kids might go to great colleges. All of that with willpower alone. You may have a very good job and take wonderful vacations. You'll be able to build some nice pieces of a life. But to build real meaning, to build a life that counts for eternity, to, to achieve God's purposes for us. Well, willpower won't do that. It can't do that. Ingredients for a better you all rests on God's intervention in your life. I like the way St. Augustine put this. He said this, without me, God won't. Without God, I can't. The Apostle Paul completely agreed, by the way. We're going to go back to that passage, and I want you to see it in full this time. Philippians 3, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, encouraging, Paul says, not only my presence, but now much more my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Fortunately, we're not alone in this. And be sure of this, 
I am with you always to the very end of the age, Jesus said. All right. All God's people said they did, but they said it very energetically and enthusiastically. Uh, you know, the, the key thing about Jesus and his life and his ministry to us is, I mean, Jesus provided us a model. Jesus came and showed us what life under God looks like. But more than being a model for us, Jesus paved the way. He was what Nate was talking about. He was that bridge. Jesus' Jesus's death accomplished breaking down all the barriers between us and God. Jesus died our death so that we might live now his life. And that is the heart of what we celebrate when we get here together on Sunday mornings or when we get together anytime, anywhere. That's, that's also the heart of what our communion celebration means. So uh, historically, the church does not celebrate communion during the Lenten season. It saves communion until Easter and after Easter because the Lenten season is this time of sacrifice and repentance and reflection. So before we begin our, our Lenten season, we wanted to end this series and wrap this time up together by participating in communion today. And because we are in COVID world, we have given you little uh, isolated units that you can use to participate in our communion service. So let's do this together. I'm going to pray to kick us off. Remember, Jesus told us to remember his death. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're remembering his life. We're remembering his final words. And we're going to remember and memorialize his death. So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his life, for his ministry. And um, we thank you for his death. Accomplishing for us what we could not through our own willpower. Accomplishing connection with you, real connection with you. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.